Blessings to you, my friends, and welcome to Bible in a Year with Bill. It is August 4th. We are on day 100 and day, day 100 and no, day 215 of 2021. Today we're going to be continuing in 2 Chronicles of the Old Testament. We're going to read chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're going to finish off today's reading with Psalm 103. I'm glad you're with me here today. Let's get right into it. The Book of Second Chronicles, Chapter 5 That completed the work King Solomon did on the temple of God. He then brought in the holy offerings of his father David, the silver and the gold and the artifacts. He placed them all in the treasury of God's temple. Bringing all this to a climax, Solomon got all the leaders together in Jerusalem, all the chiefs of tribes and the family patriarchs, to move the chest of the covenant of God from Zion and install it in the temple. All the men of Israel assembled before the king on the feast day of the seventh month, the Feast of Booths. When all the leaders of Israel were ready, the Levites took up the chest. They carried the chest, the tent of meeting, and all the sacred things in the tent used in worship. The priests, all Levites, carried them. King Solomon and the entire congregation of Israel were there before the chest, worshipping and sacrificing huge numbers of sheep and cattle, so many that no one could keep track. The priests brought the chest of the covenant of God to its place in the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, under the wings of the cherubim. The outspread wings of the cherubim formed a canopy over the chest and its poles. The ends of the poles were so long that they stuck out from the entrance of the inner sanctuary, but were not noticeable further out. They're still there today. There was nothing in the chest itself but the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb where God made a covenant with Israel after bringing them up from Egypt. The priests then left the holy place. All the priests there were consecrated, regardless of rank or assignment. And all the Levites who were musicians were there, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and their families. Dressed in their worship robes, the choir and orchestra assembled on the east side of the altar and were joined by 120 priests blowing trumpets. The choir and trumpets made one voice of praise and thanks to God. Orchestra and choir in perfect harmony singing and playing praise to God. Yes, God is good. His loyal love goes on forever. Then a billowing cloud filled the temple of God. The priests couldn't even carry out their duties because of the cloud. The glory of God that filled the temple of God. First Chronicles, sorry, Second Chronicles, chapter 6. Then Solomon said, God said he would dwell in a cloud, but I've built a temple most splendid, a place for you to live for in forever. The king then turned to face the congregation that had come together and blessed them. Blessed be God, the God of Israel, who spoke personally to my father David. Now he has done what he promised when he said, From the day I brought my people Israel up from Egypt, I haven't set apart one city among the tribes of Israel in which to build a temple to honor my name, or chosen one person to be the leader. But now I have chosen both a city and a person, Jerusalem for honoring my name, and David to lead my people Israel. My father David very much wanted to build a temple honoring the name of God, the God of Israel. But God told him, It was good that you wanted to build a temple in my honor, most commendable. But you are not the one to do it. Your son, who will carry on your dynasty, will build it for my name. 
And now you see the promise completed. God has done what he said he would do. I have succeeded David, my father, and now rule Israel. And I have built a temple to honor God, the God of Israel, and have secured a place for the chest that holds the covenant of God, the covenant he made with the people of Israel. Before the entire congregation of Israel, Solomon took his position at the altar of God and stretched out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze dais seven and a half feet square and four and a half feet high and placed it inside the court. That's where he now stood. Then he knelt in full view of the whole congregation, stretched his hands to heaven and prayed, God, O God of Israel, there is no God like you in the skies above or on the earth below, who unswervingly keeps covenant with his servants and unfailingly loves them while they sincerely live in obedience to your way. You kept your word to David, my father, your promise. You did exactly what you promised. Every detail, the proof is before us today. Keep it up, God, O God of Israel. Continue to keep the promises you made to David, my father, when you said, you'll always have a descendant to represent my rule on Israel's throne on the one condition that your sons are as careful to live obediently in my presence as you have. O God, God of Israel, let this all happen. Confirm it and establish it. Can it be that God will actually move into our neighborhood? Why, the cosmos itself isn't large enough to give you breathing room, let alone this temple I've built. Even so, I'm bold to ask. Pay attention to these prayers, both intercessory and personal. O oh God, my God, listen to my prayers, energetic and devout, that I'm setting before you right now. Keep your eyes open to this temple day and night, this place you promised to dignify with your name, and listen to the prayers that I pray in this place, and listen to your people Israel when they pray at this place. Listen from your home in heaven, and when you hear, forgive. When someone hurts a neighbor and promises to make things right, and then comes and repeats the promise before your altar in this temple, listen from heaven and act. Judge your servants, making the offender pay for the offense, and set the offended free, dismissing all charges. When your people Israel are beaten by an enemy because they've sinned against you, but then turn to you and acknowledge your rule in prayers, desperate and devout in this temple, listen from your home in heaven, forgive the sin of your people Israel, return them to the land you gave them and their ancestors. When the skies shrivel up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, but then they pray at this place, acknowledging your rule and quit their sins because you have scourged them. Listen from your home in heaven. Forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Then start over with them. Train them to live right and well. Send rain on the land you gave as inheritance to your people. When disasters strike, famine or catastrophe, crop failure or disease, locust or beetle, or when an enemy attacks their defenses, calamity of any sort, any prayer that's prayed from anyone at all among your people Israel, their hearts penetrated by disaster, hands and arms thrown out for help to this temple, listen from your home in heaven, forgive and reward us, reward each life, reward each life and circumstance, for you know each life from the inside, you're the only one with such inside knowledge. So they'll live before you in lifelong reverence and believing obedience on this land you gave our ancestors. And don't forget the foreigner who is not a member of your people Israel, but has come from a far country because of your reputation. 
People are going to be attracted here by your great reputation, your wonder-working power, and who come to pray to this temple. Listen from your home in heaven and honor the prayers of the foreigner so that people all over the world will know who you are and what you're like and live in reverent obedience before you, just as your own people Israel do, so they'll know that you personally make this temple that I've built what is what it is. When your people go to war against their enemies at the time and place you send them and they pray to God toward the city you choose and the temple I've built to honor your name, listen from heaven to what they pray and ask for and do what is right for them. When they sin against you, and they certainly will, there's no one without sin. And in anger you turn them over to the enemy, and they are taken captive to the enemy's land, whether far or near, but repent in the country of their captivity, and pray with changed hearts in their exile. We've sinned, we've done wrong, we've been most wicked, and turn back to you, heart and soul, in the land of the enemy who conquered them, and pray to you toward their homeland, the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you chose, and this temple I have built to the honor of your name. Listen from your home in heaven to their prayers, desperate and devout. Do what is best for them. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. And now, dear God, be alert and attentive to prayer, all prayer offered in this place. Up, God, enjoy your new place of quiet repose, you and your mighty covenant chest. Dress your priests up in salvation clothes. Let your holy people celebrate goodness. And don't, God, back out on your anointed ones. Keep in mind the love promised to David, your servant. Second Chronicles chapter 7 when Solomon finished praying, a bolt of lightning out of heaven struck the whole burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of God filled the temple. The glory was so dense that the priests couldn't get in. God so filled the temple that there was no room for the priests. When all Israel saw the fire fall from heaven and the glory of God fill the temple, they fell on their knees, bowed their heads, and worshipped, thanking God. Yes, God is good. His love never quits. Then the king and all Israel worshipped, offering sacrifices to God. King Solomon worshipped by sacrificing 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep at the dedication of the temple. The priests were all on duty, the choir and orchestra of Levites that David had provided for singing and playing anthems to the praise and love of God were all there. Across the courtyard, the priests blew trumpets. All Israelites were on their feet. Solomon set apart the central area of the courtyard in front of God's temple for sacred use and there sacrificed the whole burnt offerings, grain offerings, and fat from the peace offerings. The bronze altar was too small to handle all these offerings. This is how Solomon kept the great autumn feasts of booths. For seven days there were people there all the way from the far northeast, the entrance to Hamath, to the far southwest, the brook of Egypt. A huge congregation... They started out celebrating for seven days, and then did it for another seven days, a week for dedicating the altar and another for the feast itself, two solid weeks of celebration. On the twenty-third day of the seventh month, Solomon dismissed his congregation. They left rejoicing, exuberant over all the good God had done for David and Solomon and his people Israel. Solomon completed building the temple of God and the royal palace, the projects he had set his heart on doing. Everything was done, success, satisfaction. God appeared to Solomon that very night and said, 
I accept your prayer. Yes, I have chosen this place as a temple for sacrifice, a house of worship. If I ever shut off the supply of rain from the skies or order the locusts to eat the crops or send a plague on my people and my people, my God-defined people, respond by humbling themselves, praying, seeking my presence, and turning their backs on their wicked lives, I'll be ready there for you. I'll listen from heaven, forgive their sins, and restore their land to health. From now on, I'm alert day and night to the prayers offered at this place. Believe me, I've chosen and sanctified this temple that you have built. My name is stamped on it forever. My eyes are on it and my heart in it always. As for you, if you live in my presence as your father David lived, pure in heart and action, living the life I've set out for you, attentively obedient to my guidance and judgments, then I'll back your kingly rule over Israel. Make it a sure thing on a sure foundation. The same covenant guarantee I gave to David your father, I'm giving to you. Namely, you can count on always having a descendant on Israel's throne. But if you or your sons betray me, ignoring my guidance and judgments, taking up with alien gods by serving and worshipping them, then the guarantee is off. I'll wipe Israel right off the map and repudiate this temple I've just sanctified to honor my name. And Israel will be nothing but a bad joke among the peoples of the world. And this temple, splendid as it now is, will become an object of contempt. Tourists will shake their heads, saying, What happened here? What's the story behind these ruins? Then they'll be told, The people who used to live here betrayed their God, the very God who rescued their ancestors from Egypt. They took up with alien gods, worshipping and serving them. That's what's behind this God-visited devastation. Psalm 103. This is a David psalm. O my soul, bless God. From head to toe, I'll bless his holy name. O my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins, every one. He heals your diseases, every one. He redeems you from hell, saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. He renews your youth. You're always young in His presence. God makes everything come out right. He puts victims back on their feet. He, shows Mo- he showed Moses how He went about His work, opened up His plans to all Israel. God is sheer mercy and grace, not e- easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. And as far as sunrise is from sunset, he has separated us from our sins. As parents feel for their children, God feels for those who fear him. He knows us inside and out, keeps us in mind, or keeps in mind that we're made of mud. Men and women don't live very long. Like wildflowers, they spring up and blossom, but a storm snuffs them out just as quickly, leaving nothing to show they were here. God's love, though, is ever and always eternally present to all who fear Him, making everything right for them and their children as they follow His covenant ways and remember to do whatever He said. God has set His throne in heaven. He rules over us all. He's the King. 
So bless God, you angels, ready and able to fly at his bidding, quick to hear and do what he says. Bless God, all you armies of angels, alert to respond to whatever he wills. Bless God, all creatures, wherever you are, everything and everyone made by God. And you, O oh my soul, bless God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I pray that you would bless the reading of this paraphrase. Today I'm going to read a short devotion by James Dobson. I have examined America's breathless lifestyle and I find it to be unacceptable. At 43 years of age, I would be 44 but I was sick a year, I have been thinking about the stages of my earthly existence and what they will represent at its conclusion. There was a time when all of my friends were graduating from high school. Then I recall so many who entered colleges around the country, and alas, I lived through a phase when everyone seemed to be getting married. Then a few years later, we were besieged by baby shower announcements. You see, my generation is slowly but relentlessly moving through the decades, as have 2,400 generations that preceded it. Now, it occurs to me that a time will soon come when my friends will be dying. Wasn't it tragic what happened to Charles Painter yesterday? My aunt, Naomi Dobson, wrote me shortly before her death in 1978. She said, It seems like every day another of my close friends either passes away or is afflicted with a terrible disease. Obviously, she was in that final phase of her generation. Now she is also gone. What does this have to do with my life today? How does it relate to yours? I'm suggesting that we stop and consider the brevity of our years on earth, perhaps finding new motivation to preserve the values that will endure. Why should we work ourselves into an early grave, missing those precious moments with loved ones who crave our affection and attention? It is a question that every man and woman should consider. Let me offer this final word of encouragement for those who are determined to slow the pace. Once you get out from under constant pressure, You'll wonder why you drove yourself so hard for all those years. There is a better way. Thank you, my friends, for joining me today. I pray that you received something out of today's message. I know I did. See you tomorrow. Take care now.